Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist Church in North Charleston, South Carolina. Hey, if you're listening today, I know exactly what you need. You need hope and encouragement. And my prayer is that the message you are about to hear will help you find hope and encouragement in a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more about our church, visit our website, northwoodbaptist.com, or follow us on Facebook. Now, get ready for a message that will help you connect faith to life. Genesis chapter 3, uh, we're going to look at the rest of the chapter. Last week we started, we looked at Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. This morning we're picking up in verse 8 and going to the, re- going to the end of the chapter. But in just a moment, I'll read to you Genesis 3, 8 through 15. So be finding that in your Bible, Genesis 3, 8 through 15. If you're new to the Bible, Genesis is the very first book in the Bible, so not hard to find at all. If you don't have a Bible with you, in the seat before you down the book rack, you'll find a copy of the Bible. Pick that Bible up and find Genesis 3 with us. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you. Uh, Begin to read it and learn about the God who loves you and desires a relationship with you. Genesis chapter 3 verses 8 through 15 is where we are this morning. And you might be wondering why in the world are we in Genesis? I mean, after all, it's Easter Sunday. But hopefully by the time we get to the end of this message, you will see with me why this passage of Scripture is so significant and how this passage of Scripture is really foundational in helping us to understand the Easter story. So Genesis 3 verses 8 through 15, we'll read that together in just a moment. I want to show you a picture this morning, and you saw this picture everywhere in the past couple of weeks, whether it was on television or Facebook. You, you, you remember this, right? All right, so I don't know how many of you are pilot ships. Um, I, I, I just don't know how a ship gets stuck in a canal, but it happened, right? And interesting story, and so there it was stuck. And, and if you watched any media, if you were on Facebook, if you watched the news or whatever the case may be, it was, it was a big catastrophe because, because, man, they just didn't know how they were going to get this boat out and how they were going to get it down the canal. And I don't know if you know this or not, but when this ship got stuck, over 300 ships backed up waiting to get through the canal. Isn't that wild? And, and all of you were worried. I know you were because you ordered something off Amazon Prime and you thought you'd never get it, right? Because, because they, they came on the, the TV and they said to us, it might be years before they get this boat moved. And you know, because the media always exaggerates everything a little bit. And so it's gonna be months, years, where, and, and, and everything you ordered from Amazon, it was gonna sit on that boat for the rest of your life. You're never gonna get it. And so you were kind of freaked out a little bit, weren't you? And so so anyway, this boat sat there and then they tried to get out. Did you see this picture? That little bitty excavator was going to do the job, wasn't it? And so, so, so they got a little excavator out. And it was digging away like a little kid with a, a shovel trying to get all the sand off the beach. And so obviously that didn't work. And, and so they I really, I, I don't know if you caught, uh, kept up with the story much, but they, uh, they had all these tugboats and other machinery that were out and, and around the clock working. Now this I found interesting. I don't know if you know this or not, but in this part of the world, uh, at this time of year, it's, it's pretty interesting because they'll, they'll have these low tides that come in. And these low tides will just obviously make the water level really low, making it more difficult to get the boat unstuck. But on the flip side, side during this time of year there are these extremely high tides and so so maybe it was coincidence I don't know the other night there was a full moon full moon and and in fact what they call these things now watch this what they call these tides in this part of the world when they happen they call them king tides 
Interesting, huh? And so, so, so the water rose high enough where as they were working, they were able to, what they thought was going to take 45 years to move this boat. I mean, you know, six days later, the boat's gone and it floated wherever it went and you got your Amazon package and life's back to normal, right? A king tide. I don't know what you would call that, but I would call that, I would call that divine intervention. We've read about this in Genesis 1 and 2 already, haven't we? That we have a God who has created everything and all is good and and who has created the tides and the moon and arranges all of that, right? And and, and so we looked at last week in Genesis chapter 3, this good God who created it all, who who, who knows everything about his creative order. We, God's people, rebelled against this good God. And now we're stuck. For days, that boat was stuck. And you've felt stuck before. You've felt stuck in a lot of different ways, haven't you? You might have felt stuck like you're in a bad job sometimes, stuck in your job or stuck in some other life circumstances that you wanted to get out of. I don't know if you know this or not, but every one of us in this room, we were stuck in our sin. Our sin was literally killing us. But at just the right time in your life, right, if you're a follower of Jesus, at just the right time, there was an act of divine intervention. Here we are in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve have sinned against God. And what we're going to read about in the rest of Genesis chapter 3 is an act of divine intervention. This is a powerful passage because this, this passage, it tells us, obviously, we looked at last week, what went wrong in our world And it really explains in some ways why this world seems so hopeless. But also here in Genesis chapter 3, as we study through this text, we also see why we as God's people in a hopeless world can be so full of hope. And so what I want to show you in this passage on this Easter Sunday morning, I want to show you three truths from this passage of Scripture that I think will give you much hope and encourage you as you pursue Jesus and as you live in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So take your Bibles, look at Genesis chapter 3 with me, verses 8 through 15. When you find that passage, go ahead and rise to your feet as we honor the ring of God's Word. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. This is what the Bible says. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord called out to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he asked, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man replied, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. So the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning and for time together to study your word, especially on this Easter Sunday morning. And Father, as we study this ancient text, 
I pray that you would remind us of the, of the beauty of the cross and the power of the resurrection. And I pray that in this room there will be people this morning who respond to the gospel for the very first time. For people watching online, I pray this morning that they will know there's a God who loves them and has gave his son, Jesus, for them. So, Father, as we listen to your word this morning, we're listening with hearts that are ready to receive, ears that are open. Father, we're ready to hear and we're ready to obey whatever it is you tell us this morning. We love you and we exalt you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. So just to recap, you remember last week we began looking at Genesis chapter 3 together and, and in the garden, this, this beautiful place, this place where, where God had, had placed Adam and Eve to enjoy fellowship with them. In the garden, Adam and Eve made the choice. Tempted by the enemy, they made the choice to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God had already said, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And then Satan lied. That's not true. You won't die. What kind of God would kill you from eating a piece of fruit from a tree? You won't die. Go ahead and eat. And in that moment, Adam and Eve, they believed the word of the liar. They believed the word of Satan rather than believing the word of a good God who loved them and created them and gave them purpose and meaning. And in that moment, they ate. And when they ate of that fruit, they didn't die. At least they didn't die physically. And they didn't die physically immediately, but they did die spiritually. In that moment, everything changed. And you see that in the verses we just read together. Look what it says. You come down to Genesis chapter 3 and you look at verse 8. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. You might want to underline that phrase. It's beautiful. Because this is what it was like. God enjoying fellowship, intimacy with Adam and Eve. This idea of God being present in the garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And how Adam and Eve, before the fall, they enjoyed the presence of God. They enjoyed fellowship with God. But now, here in chapter 3, verse 8, when God comes walking, Adam and Eve go hiding. Look at what it says. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? Now, this is interesting to me, and it should be interesting to you as well. Notice, God comes. And God searches. Now, you and I know the reality. You can't hide from God. God knows exactly where Adam and Eve are. But he calls out, where are you? He's coming after them. He doesn't take their lives immediately. He doesn't, in that moment, cause them to drop dead. No, graciously, God comes to the garden. Adam and Eve, where are you? Looking for Adam and Eve, the people that he loves. And you see what Adam says. I heard you in the garden, now underline this phrase, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid, afraid. Now think about that, that's interesting too. Because up to this point in the story, Adam and Eve had not been afraid of anything. There was no need to be. They lived in this perfect garden, enjoying fellowship with God. Everything they needed was right there. They they enjoyed rest in the garden. But when they rebelled against God and sinned, all of a sudden now, Adam and Eve are afraid. Not only are they afraid, what else are they? They are ashamed. Guilt. You've seen uh, the the storybooks that you read to your children at night before they go to bed of Adam and Eve covering themselves in fig leaves. 
trying to do anything they could to hide themselves from the presence of God because they were afraid of God now and they were ashamed of what they had done. And so, so God gives Adam a chance, doesn't he? Adam, come on. Tell me what happened. Why are you hiding? This is an opportunity. An opportunity for Adam to fess up. An opportunity for Adam to take responsibility. An opportunity for Adam to be a man, right? And to say to God, you know what? I, I know I shouldn't have done it, but I did it. I, I ate from that tree, the tree you told me not to eat from. I did it, and I, I'm sorry. I, can you give me a second chance? You, you would hope that Adam would fess up and say, okay, God, here's the mistake I made. But he doesn't. Look at what he says. You know this. The woman you gave me. The woman you gave me. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate. He blames. That woman. God, that, that gift that you gave me, that, that one that you, you, you made from my rib who was supposed to be one flesh with me, that, that gift, God turns out, she ain't that much of a gift. <laughs> right? I mean, she gave it to me. And now that I think about it, God, I mean, you gave me the gift, so I, I, I don't know, I... I guess ultimately it's your fault, right? Because you gave me this bad gift. It didn't work out too well. That, that woman that you gave me. I don't know if you know this or not. And, and if you don't know this, you need to know this, that it's not usually a good idea to blame God. Right? So God turns to Eve. Now it's Eve's opportunity. Adam blows it. He doesn't fess up. He, he shifts blame. And maybe Eve will do a little better. Maybe she'll come clean and say, God, I, I, you know, we ate this tree. We, we shouldn't have. Would you, would you give us a second chance? But, but she doesn't either. She does the same thing her husband does. She, set, she doesn't blame God and she doesn't blame Adam. She blames the enemy, the devil, that snake, that snake in the garden. It, it, he, he tempted me and I couldn't help myself. It just looked too good. I mean, I gave in. I did it. And so here you have it in the garden that Adam and Eve do this very same thing that, that every one of us do. I mean, think about it. In this first truth I want you to see from this passage of Scripture, it's real, really quite simple. It's going to come up on the screen, I think. You can never cover your own sin. You know this, right? But that's exactly what Adam and Eve attempted in the garden, to cover their own sin. And you do the same thing that Adam and Eve do. You hide. I mean, let's just be honest in this room. That, that for some of us, there are some relationships. Something happened in a relationship years ago. You did something wrong towards somebody else. You, you, you said something, you did something hurtful, whatever the case may be. And now for years, here you are 10, 15, 20 years later, you haven't talked to that person in ages. Why? Because you're hiding from them. You damaged the relationship. You don't want to fess up. You don't want to make it right. And so you're hiding. You try to hide from God, don't you? Because you know it. You feel sometimes the weight of your sin. You know, you know when you're outside the will of God. And when you're outside the will of God, you know what you do. You stop having your daily time with the Lord. You stop going to church. You stop being around the people of God. You try to hide. And then you know what you do. When you get caught, when you get found out, you blame. Well, God, I mean, I, I couldn't help myself. In fact, I mean, you, you know the problems I have in my marriage. If, if you would have given me a little better wife, 
If you give me a little better husband, then, then maybe I wouldn't struggle so much with lust or whatever the case may be. And, and my kids, oh my God, have you seen my kids, Lord? I mean, come on. I mean, if you knew how my kids treat me at home and all the, the rockets they cause around the house, and then you give me a break. Come on, God, right? Or my job. Do you know how hard I work but still get treated like I do? I mean, it ain't my fault. And, and so we all do the same thing, don't we? We, we try to hide. We blame, and then we do this. We try to cover up instead of owning up. You've been there before, haven't you? All right, God, I know I messed up over here. I know that, that I, you know, I, I yelled a little bit too much at my kids yesterday, but come on, God, you know I'm a good provider. I've got a good job. I, uh, they don't miss a meal, and, 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 and they get a good education. I mean, so I know I messed up a little bit yesterday when I yelled at them like crazy, but I'm a pretty good dad because I provide for them. I know that, that you know, I, I haven't been treating my wife very well. I get that. But, God, remember that vacation I took her on last year? That didn't count for something. I mean, I did daddy good, right? God, I know, I, I know I messed up. I, I know I've sinned. But do you know how often I go to church? At least twice a month. That's pretty good. Now, and I give some every now and then. And I even work in Iwana every, every, every few months. I mean, that's got to count for something. God, I know I've messed up. But, but look, doesn't my, my goodness, doesn't my, my righteousness, doesn't my, the stuff I've done, doesn't it count for something? And you and I know the truth. It doesn't. Because you can't. You can't cover your own sin. And, and the reality is that there are people in this room, people watching online, and people all across this city and this world who every day are hiding and blaming and trying to cover themselves up. Right? I read a story this week, and, and it was on the internet, so you know it's true. And it's, so it's this, this story, and, uh, and I'm a preacher, so I, I never make anything up. And so, so I, was, I was reading this story on the internet, and I don't know. Let me ask you this question. This, this will help. So when I turned 16, like the day I turned 16, I wanted to drive, right? I wanted that independence, because in Georgia, you could get your license when you were 16. How many of you, the day you turned, the age you could get your license, you got your license that day? Yeah, a lot of us did, because if you were like me, you wanted that independence, you couldn't wait. So I read this, this article about a guy who, who lives in Poland, and he took his driving test this past week. 50 years old, taking his driving test. Now, good for him for wanting to drive at 50 years old, but, but there's a problem. It wasn't the first time he's taken the test. This guy in Poland, I can't remember the city's name, it's hard to pronounce, but this guy who lives in Poland, he's taken this driving test now 192 times and has failed every single time. And this last week when he took it for the 192nd time, he failed it again. For over 17 years, he's tried to get his driver's license. For 17 years, he spent thousands of dollars trying to get his driver's license and still has not gotten his driver's license. Let me ask you a question. If that was you, what would you do? Uber. Right? I mean, that's just what you would do. You'd Uber, right? I mean, I mean, at some point, at some point, the guy's got to recognize, you know what? This just ain't working for me. I'm done with this. And I tell you that to tell you this. There's got to come a point where you realize this ain't working for you. You see what I'm saying? There, there has to come a point where you have to recognize in your life that the hiding and the blaming and trying to cover yourself up by saying, hey, but I've done some good things, that that's not working for you or is it ever going to work for you? There must come a point in your life where you take responsibility for yourself and say, God, I did it. I messed up. 
I'm the one. I've sinned. I have fallen short of your glory. It's me. You can't cover your own sin no matter how hard you try. And I want you to see something else from this text. Now, hold on. You can never overcome or cover your own sin. And also, you cannot escape the consequences of sin. Let's see what happens. You, you know this story. I mean, it's, it's familiar. You, you look at verses um, 14 and 15, and, and, and God gives consequences, right? You understand this, that, that, that we already knew what the consequence would be. The consequence would be death. But they didn't die immediately, but everything did change. And so there's consequences in verses 14 through 15 for the serpent, for the enemy. Now, we're going to come back to that. So just hold, hold that thought there in verses 14 and 15. But come to verse 16, the consequence for the woman. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. You know what he's saying to Eve? And some of you know this from experience because you're living with these consequences as well. Your family's always going to be messed up, right? Every time Eve would have a child, it would be a joyous occasion. But also every time Eve had a child, it would be painful, a reminder, a reminder of suffering, a reminder of the fall. And that has been repeated over the course of history. And, 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 and you think about Genesis chapter 2, when God establishes marriage, one flesh, a couple mutually submitting to each other, equal in each other's eyes and, and helping, complementing each other. That was God's design. But the fall changed all that. And so what God says, here's the consequence of your disobedience. Your marriage will never be what it could have been. In your home, there will always be a power struggle. Your family's always going to be messed up. And every family from that point in history, look at your own family, has been messed up. There's no perfect family because every family feels the consequences of sin. When, when we get done with this service this morning, we're going to go home and we're going to load the car up and I'm going to drive my family to New Orleans. We have not seen Stacy's parents. So they're, they're in their mid-80s, and so we've, been tried, we've tried to be real protective with them over the COVID crisis. So we haven't seen her parents. My, my kids have not seen their grandparents. My wife has not seen her mom and dad since uh, December of 2019. So we're long overdue for a trip. So we're heading out. It's been spring break in New Orleans. It is a 13-hour drive. Now, if you didn't hear that, let me tell you that again. It is a... 13, 13, capital 13, hour drive. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen in that car. We're going to see the consequences of the fall. I love my wife. I love my kids. I'm going to try my hardest. I'm going to tell you right now, there's going to be a lot of sin in that car. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I mean I'm a pastor. I think I'm a pretty holy guy, right? I mean, but, but I'm just telling you, you put yourself in a car with your kids for 13 hours, yeah, we're going to be reminded of the consequences of the fall. And you know it too. You know it. I mean, your family, it, it's a struggle. We, we love each other. We love our families, but you know it. It's a struggle. And then God turns to Adam. Now think about Adam, because Adam had been given this, this glorious responsibility, made in the image of God, to have dominion over the earth. 
And think about in Genesis chapter 2 when, when God gives Adam purpose and mission and, and how Adam, he works the ground. Adam in the Hebrew, I, I don't speak Hebrew very well, but Adam. The word for ground in the Hebrew language is Adamah. It's like this wordplay going on. Adam was made from the ground, but now watch this. Adam was also made for the ground. That, that he would live to produce from the ground as, as God gave him a harvest. And, and in Genesis chapter 2, his, his work was purposeful. It was restful. It was ultimately worshipful as he served the Lord by, by ruling over the earth. But now God says to Adam, it ain't going to be that way anymore. It's going to be hard. The ground is going to produce thistles and weeds, and it's going to be a struggle. And if you've ever had a job, you know it's hard. And so, so really, if you think about it, the, these consequences that, that are spelled out in these passages are a reminder to us, and, and you know this, even if you're a, not a follower of Jesus, even if you don't believe in God this morning, I bet you, you would agree with me in this, that everything in this world is messed up. There's a lot to enjoy about life. We, we enjoy living life, and, and life is full of joy and excitement. But there's a lot in this world that's broken. And, and what, what God is reminding us of here in Genesis chapter 3 is that, that, that everything is tainted because of your sin and my sin. These consequences are pretty bad, but, but it gets even worse because you come to the end of the chapter. And at the end of the chapter, you know what happens. Now, just hang with me for a moment. God expels Adam and Eve from the garden. They couldn't eat from the tree of life, right? They expelled from the garden. They couldn't have access to that tree that would give them eternal life. But also, they would never again enjoy what? God walking in the garden with them. The presence of God. Now, this is really interesting to me. If you read the end of the chapter, you, you know how they're kicked out of the garden, if you will, and there are cherubim that are placed there at the garden to guard the garden so no one can get into the garden. Remember that? Now, when, when Moses writes this book, the people are wandering in the wilderness, the Hebrews, after coming out of Egyptian slavery. And, and as Moses is in the wilderness with the people, you know what God gives. He gives at Mount Sinai. Now watch this, come in close, be careful with me. He gives what? He gives the commands of God, but there's also some instructions. Some instructions, now watch this, to build a tabernacle. Remember that? And if you know anything about the tabernacle, you know that inside that, that, that tabernacle, that tent of meeting, there was a curtain. And behind that curtain was what was called the Holy of Holies. And at that Holy of Holies, there was what? You, you saw the Indiana Jones movie, right? The Ark of the Covenant. Do you remember that? And if you know anything about the Ark of the Covenant, you know that on top of the Ark of the Covenant, that, that this Ark that represented the very presence of God, there were what? Cherubim. Interesting. Who had access to the Ark? The high priest. Once a year, the high priest and the high priest alone could go behind the curtain and offer a sacrifice for his sins and the sins of the people, but only once a year. And so, so as the people wandered through the wilderness with this tabernacle and made their way into the promised land with this tabernacle, it was a reminder, right? It was a reminder that, that God wanted to be present among his people. He really did. And he really wants to be present among us as well. But it was also a reminder that their sin separated them from God. You see? 
Adam and Eve could not have access to God because there's sin. You and I could not have access to God because of our sin. Do you see? I mean, I, I want this to, to weigh on us this morning because, again, we see sin as something that is a mistake. It's probably something we shouldn't do. But, man, it is such good stuff. Right? I mean, I really do enjoy the lust. I, I really do enjoy the gospel. I'm really honest, right? I really do enjoy being bitter. I mean, I just for whatever reason, I like that. I mean, we, we tend to enjoy our sin. But when we begin to understand the effects of our sin, that it's caused everything to be broken, but not only has it caused everything to be broken, but it has caused us to experience separation from the God who loves us, it's not something to rejoice in. It's something to grieve. And, and Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 that when you learn to grieve your sin, godly grief leads to repentance. That when you begin to grieve your sin, that produces within you fertile ground for God to work. And Paul would go on to say in Colossians 3, 5, not only grieve it, but man, kill it. Put it to death. It's not that we can be sinless in this life, but as we learn to walk with Jesus, we can sin less. As we, as we learn to rely on the power of the Spirit, sin is not a laughing matter. Sin is not something to joke about. Sin is not something to enjoy. Sin is something to grieve and to kill because sin produces within us this animosity between us and the God who loves us, you see? But yet we, we do. We run to it instead of running from it. And so I so just want you to understand, you can't escape the consequences of your sin, but I want you to see one more thing in this passage and we're done. You can't escape the consequences of sin. Go on to the next slide, please. Your only hope is to surrender to the one who ultimately covers your sin. Now, here's what we've seen, and here's what we will see. One, in the garden, God pursues. In their sin, God comes after Adam and Eve. Isn't that good? But not only does he pursue, he clothes. We, we didn't read the verse, but, but it's there, I promise you. Where, where, what does God do? After he calls out Adam and Eve, something in the garden dies. And it's not Adam and Eve, it's an animal. The first sacrifice. And Adam and Eve, instead of being clothed with leaves, they're clothed with the skins of an animal. God pursues, God clothes, and God rescues. Now, let me show you. This is where it gets really good. You come back and you look at Genesis chapter 3 and you come to verse 14. God is speaking to the enemy, to Satan. Look at what it says. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I'll put hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. You see it? It's going to be a constant war. A war between you and the woman, mankind. And then you come down and look at the end of the passage. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. I don't know if you know this or not, but, but when Bible scholars write about these verses, what, what Bible scholars point out is that, that this verse, it really is the very first gospel proclamation. This is so good. I, I want you to hear this. Adam and Eve's sin did not take God by surprise. When Adam and Eve sinned, he wasn't walking around the garden saying, Man, what am I going to do now? It's a bummer. I, th- this one messed up. Now, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, now watch this, watch this. When Adam and Eve sinned, God already had a plan for their redemption. 
Isn't that good? And, and if you were an ancient Hebrew and you were wandering in the wilderness and, and maybe Moses grabbed you and he took you around the campfire and, and as you were sitting there, Moses was reading this new book he had written. Genesis says, check this out. Listen to this book I'm writing. Listen, listen. And he gets to that verse. If you were an ancient Hebrew, you know what you would have asked? When? Because it seems like we're still at war. When is that going to happen? And I wonder if Eve, I don't know, I'm just speculating a bit. Where are Eve? She knew that promise. If she asked the same question, when? When is this going to happen? When, when is there going to come uh, this, this seed, this offspring that's going to crush the head of the enemy? In Genesis chapter 4, which we'll get to in a couple weeks, in Genesis chapter 4, a male child is born. Remember his name? Cain. Now wonder if when Eve held that baby Cain in her arms, if she wondered, is this the one? Is this the one who's going to crush the head of the serpent? Obviously, that didn't work out too well. And so she's left to wonder. The ancient Hebrews in the wilderness, they're left to wonder. When? The prophets are left to wonder. Uh, they, they saw his coming, but when, 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 when is it going to happen that there's going to come one who will crush the head of the serpent? And then in Galatians chapter 4, Paul writes in verses 4 through 70, he says something like this. When the time was right. When time was complete. When time was fulfilled. God sent forth, listen, his son. Born of a woman. Sinless. Jesus Christ grew up. Born of a woman. Sinless. Never sinned. If you think about it, and, and some of you have heard this before, this isn't new to you, but, but, but maybe you haven't heard this before. If you think about it, Jesus is the second Adam. Adam, the first Adam, the first man, he messed everything up. Because of his sin, we, every one of us, all of us have followed in his footsteps. We made the same mistake that Adam made. We listened to the voice of the enemy. We rebelled. Every one of us have done the same thing that Adam done. And so through Adam, sin has been passed on to all of us. In fact, Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 5. Listen to this passage of scripture. It's going to be on the screen. So then, as through one trespass, there is condemnation for everyone. So also through the one righteous act, there is justification leading to life for everyone. Now listen, for just as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So also through the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Through one man, sin entered into our world. But then there was a second Adam who didn't follow in the steps of the first Adam, who was sinless. And then on Good Friday, after living a sinless life, was executed by sinful people. I don't think, well, in fact, I know, I know the people that crucified him did not know what was going on in the spiritual realm. They didn't know the war that was waging when they crucified Jesus. And there on the cross, 
As Jesus breathed his last breath on a cross, he cried out, it is finished. And, and, and Satan must have loved those words. It's finished. Jesus is done. Because it seemed like in that moment when Christ died on the cross, it seemed like momentarily that Satan had won the victory, that the promise made in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 was not true. Because as Jesus lay in a tomb on Saturday, dead as dead could be, the enemy rejoiced because it seemed like the snake, it seemed like the snake had struck the seed of the woman. And it seemed like the snake had sunk his venomous fangs into Jesus. And it seemed like in that moment, the snake had won. The snake wasn't counting on the third day. Because on the third day, Jesus Christ rose from the dead and walked out of the grave, thus fulfilling what God had promised in Genesis chapter 3.15. You see, in the Old Testament, people were longing for the day that one would come and crush the head of the serpent. And on that resurrection Sunday, Jesus Christ crushed the head of the serpent. Your sin, your death has been defeated If you believe in Christ, if you turn to him by faith, if you believe he died for you and rose again for you, you will live forever because of what Jesus Christ accomplished for you 2,000 years ago when he walked out of a grave for you. You see, you know what happened on the cross. Satan did not win on the cross. Jesus went on the cross because at the cross, Jesus voluntarily, sacrificially, lovingly, and graciously took your sin the curse of your sin. He took it upon himself and died the death that you and I deserve so that if you believe that he died for you and rose again for you, one day you will eat from the tree of life forever. Do you see? Genesis chapter 3.15 is a great Easter passage because it promises us that God will do what he says he will do. And he did. At the cross of Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, the enemy was defeated, and now you can have the gift of life. The problem is, there are those of us in this room, and there are those of us watching online, for whatever reason, have never accepted that gift. The problem is, is that for some of us in this room, we're still hiding, we're still blaming, and we're still trying to cover ourselves. You can't. But if you'll trust Jesus this morning, he will clothe you. Adam and Eve in the garden, God clothed them with animal skins. This morning, God wants to clothe you with the life of his son so that one day when you stand before the presence of God, God will look at you and say, you're innocent. You ain't. You never have been innocent. He will look at the clothes of Jesus covering your lives, the righteousness of Christ, and he will declare you innocent. And you will not be separated from him. No, the moment you give your life,
to Jesus, the moment you give your life to Jesus, today could be the day for you. The moment you give your life to Jesus, you are brought into a relationship with him. The separation is gone. You can commune with him and look forward to that day when everything is going to be once again like it was in the Garden of Eden. That day's coming for those of us who believe. And so this morning, why? Why are you hiding? Why are you blaming? Why are you trying to cover yourself? Instead, believe this morning. Believe that Jesus Christ has done what you cannot do for yourself. And believe this morning there's a gift for you if you'll turn to, your, to him, if you'll confess your sins and declare him as Lord. In the corners of this room are two crosses, one on either side of the room. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. And as we have a time of invitation, there are going to be some people who move to those crosses, and they want to pray with you this morning. They want to help you begin a relationship with Jesus. And maybe you're in this room this morning, and you know it. You know it. And I don't care. Maybe you've been to church, even here, a million times, but you know deep within your heart what you've never done is you've never trusted Jesus as Lord of your life. You've never turned from your sins and turned to Him. Let today be your very first Easter. Let today be your resurrection Sunday. Today, move. Go to one of those crosses. There'll be someone there ready to pray with you and give your life to Jesus for the very first time. If you're watching online, we would love for you to embrace the good news of Jesus Christ. Reach out to us. Send us a message on Facebook. Text us. We'd love to help you begin a relationship with Jesus as well. But let today be your resurrection Sunday. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for time together in your word. Thank you, Father, for the beauty of the cross, for the power of the resurrection. Thank you, Jesus, that we have life because of you, because you're willing to give your life for us and experience the punishment that we deserve. Father, in this room this morning, I know there are people who have yet to make you Lord of their lives. I know there are people watching online who have yet to surrender their lives to you by faith. Father, I pray that, that in this room, I pray that online, Today, people will make a choice to trust Christ as Lord, to confess their sins, to recognize that they can't cover themselves. Today, embrace the covering of Jesus Christ. So, Father, we're trusting that in these moments, you're going to have your way. Help us respond in obedience and faith. And ask in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and rise your feet as a time of invitation together. You come now as the Spirit of God leads you this morning.